Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 360th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We're on Voice America Business Channel, and we're broadcasting today in this eighth year of our show across the world from the square outside the Hermitage Museum or the Winter Palace in St. Petersburg in Russia. It's, um, it's an amazing place. Had the opportunity to tour the Hermitage yesterday. There's 3.7 million pieces of collectibles, art, etc., in the museum, which is the second largest in the world, and they've got everything from esophaguses from 12 AD right through to, I guess, Picasso, etc. It is an extraordinary place. And the square outside the Hermitage, which is where I sit right now, is um, it's bigger than Red Square in Moscow, and it's where the Rolling Stones and... Paul McCartney, both did concerts and both attracted around 250,000 people into this square. It is really unbelievable. And actually, it's a great city. It's a terrific city. If you haven't been here, put it on your bucket list. It's really well well worth a trip. Actually, today I was walking down the main street and I came across a statue of Freddie Mercury outside the Rock Cafe, so I couldn't wait to get a photograph with Freddie. Um, he was a little dead, but, you know, you can't you can't win everything. Now, I constantly ask myself, why would anybody take a sexy selfie and post it on social media? I must admit, I, I don't take selfies and, I, selfies and I don't post on social media, but it, it always seems to me that, you know, you, you stand there and you pose and you try to look sexy and you put it up on social media. It seems to me like an action of a giant ego. But researchers from the University of New South Wales in Australia, they analysed 68,562 sexualised self-portrait photographs of females, 68,500 from 113 countries, and they noted if they were tagged sexy or hot. And the researchers found the habit is part of a complex social evolutionary game where women sexualise themselves in environments with greater economic inequality in, as opposed to environments where they might be oppressed because of their gender. So it has nothing to do with being oppressed, nothing to do with anything except it's economic inequality and taking sexy selfies is all about giving yourself better competitiveness and overcoming your status anxiety. The researchers say that income inequality increases competitiveness and status anxiety at all levels in the social hierarchy, making women sensitive to where they sit on the social ladder and they figure that by having sexy selfies, they can elevate themselves up the ladder and do better than others. So, rightly or wrongly, I suppose, 
um, in today's environment, looking sexy can generate very substantial returns economically, socially, and personally. I guess you've only got to look at the Kardashians to figure that that probably makes sense. And the research has also looked at where in the world these things happen. It's assumed that women's preoccupation with their appearance happens because of the perception that um, society is controlled by men and this is a way that they can appeal to men. And I guess you're first thinking about it, you think that, well, women that live in these societies that value their appearance more than their other qualities, it ain't true. What the research has found is that women are more likely to invest time and effort into posting sexy selfies online in places where there's greater economic inequality and not necessarily in places where men hold more societal power and where gender inequality is right. So they took into account things like population size and human development, internet access, etc. And uh, they found that sexy selfies are a marketer of social climbing among women that tracks economic incentives in the local environment. The researchers found that the same pattern in spending in other appearance-enhancing areas, such as beauty salons and clothing stores, follows that pattern. And I have to say that here in... Uh, in Russia, it's been interesting talking to people about the priority of men and, and women. It's incredible how many fantastic cars there are in Russia. Um, Moscow in particular, but also here, full of Mercedes and BMWs and very expensive motor cars. And uh, we've been told by a number of people that men would rather buy a car as a status symbol than worry about buying things like houses. They would rent a house forever as long as they can have a car that gives them status. Women here apparently do the opposite. They're interested in looking sexy and they spend their money on clothes and makeup and hair and that's what they spend their, their money on. And it's all about having status. So when a young woman adjusts her bikini provocatively with a phone at the ready, don't think she's vacuous, although she possibly is, and don't think she's a victim. Think of her as a strategic player in a complex social and evolutionary game. She's just out to maximise her lot in life, same as the rest of us. Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We've now got about 1.75 million daily subscribers. It only takes about 30 seconds to read, and every day we tackle a different subject. We talk about advances in medicine and new apps and new technology, Hyperloop, autonomous cars and blockchain, etc., etc. And uh, it's really amazing how the response we get, people, the number of people that send us email saying yours is the only newsletter I read every day is extraordinary. So if you want to keep abreast of all the new developments in business and technology and ensure that you're able to compete in this ever competitive world, instead of going out and looking sexy and 
getting a wax job and posing for a selfie, just get the Bob Pritchard newsletter. A lot less pain and much easier. There's, there's so many things to see in St. Petersburg that it's really quite extraordinary. Um, the saviour of spilt blood cathedral is amazing. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. And uh, I don't know if you've been to the Sistine Chapel in in Rome, but, boy, the, these places and the Isaac Cathedral, they are right up with it. Now, if you want to be successful in this world, you've got to give it your best shot. You know, the elevator that gives you a fast ride to the top, well, that's been taken out of service because it simply doesn't work. The only way to be successful is to take the stairs and do it one step at a time. You know, the only person that you're destined to become is the person that you decide that you want to be. And the biggest difference between successful people and unsuccessful people isn't intelligence or opportunity or resources. Success comes to those who believe in themselves and their abilities and people who believe that they can really make their goals happen. What you believe influences the way you interpret events and how you feel, and it influences how you behave. And much of the time, those beliefs turn into self-fulfilling prophecies. If you've got a passionate belief about something and you dedicate your life to it, you will achieve it. And, you know, at the end of every show, I say it's easier to do the impossible than it is to do the possible. And it's true. You know, think of the most outrageous thing you can think of and then go out and get it. Use a skill called acting as if. You know, according to Jack Canfield, and I think we've all read Chicken Soup for the Soul and Success Principles and all the others, he says that if you act as if, you will become the kind of person who's capable of creating the kind of success that you want. And this will trigger your subconscious mind to find ways to achieve your goals. After a while, you'll start noticing anything that will help you succeed. Best of all, you'll start acting on those opportunities because you'll have the confidence that your efforts will yield great results. You know, athletes visualize. They visualize winning the race. They visualize standing on the podium and getting that gold medal. Well, business is no different. You've got to visualize achieving what you want to achieve. You've got to visualize getting that Mercedes or Lamborghini at the end of the day. You've got to put that in your mind and go and get it. Now, remember, you're a brand. Write down all your positive attributes. Ask your parents, ask your siblings ask friends what it is that they like about you the most. And that's you. That's brand you. Now, act like it, dress like it, be it. Be confident. And behave exactly as if you're that person. It doesn't mean you have to be a phony. Instead, you just need to follow three simple concepts. One, you need belief. Believing in yourself is all being all about being sure that you're going to do what you want, even if others stand in your way. They always will. Remember, it's your goal, not your brother's, not your best friend's. 
not your parents. Don't waste time focusing on what other thinks. It's about what you believe that's important. So believe in yourself. You need dedication. It's part of your makeup. It's part of the way you do things. Remember that all successful people have been dedicated to what they're doing. So should you. Write it down. Look at it every day. Believe in it. Focus on it. And that's another critical point. You need to focus. For example, the object in target shooting is to aim for the centre. The same standard applies for success. Successful people call these centres their goals. You also need skill. It's the right combination of skill sets in order to be successful in whatever you've chosen to do that makes a difference. You can succeed in whatever you choose to do. You can be anything that you dream of. It's about taking chances, being proactive, being ready. Great things are not going to happen to you unless you believe it. See it in your mind and focus on that goal. Keep your eye on the goal, your prize. The success you'll enjoy will be because you have helped other people get what they want. This is really important. I reckon Zig Ziglar said, you can have everything in life you want if you will just help other people get what they want. That's really important. My guest after the break is Dr. Alan Frankel. He's one of the world's leading authorities on dosed cannabis medicine. With over 35 years experience in internal medicine, Dr. Frankel applies his knowledge of all aspects of the cannabis plant and its therapeutic value to the treatment of multiple serious medical conditions. I'll be back with Alan right after this break. And this is Bob Pritchard. I'm broadcasting across the world from Hermitage Square in St. Petersburg, Russia. And I'll be back in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the past five and a half, nearly six years, we've given you insights into the lives of somewhere around 320 of the world's most interesting business people. 
we talk about what they do and uh, the challenges that they faced, what makes them special, and we also try to find out what it is that makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to have a successful business these days and to do something unusual. So people who have gone before us and have made a success of it, well, we need to listen to them because otherwise we'll end up making the same mistakes that they did and uh, that makes your road to success just that little bit harder. So the aim of this segment is to assist you to overcome challenges, to seize initiatives and to become highly successful. So if you're sitting at home listening to this, then pay attention because a hell of a lot of really good information comes out of this segment. My guest today is Dr. Alan Frankel. He graduated second in his class from the UCLA School of Medicine and was elected to the Alpha Omega Alpha Medical Honors Society. And for three years, Dr. Frankel was selected by his peers of one of LA Magazine's top internists. He was a clinical professor at the University of California, Los Angeles School of Medicine for 18 years. The Chartscape medical software program used by the UCLA Bauer Cancer Center and the eScript medical software utilized by Kaiser Permanente were both developed by Dr. Frankel. After a distinguished career in traditional medicine, now this is where it gets really interesting. Alan Frankel is one of the world's leading authorities on dosed cannabis medicine. Now, with 35 years of experience in internal medicine, Dr. Frankel implies his knowledge of all aspects of the cannabis plant and its therapeutic value to the treatment of multiple serious medical conditions. Now, it's about here that I've got to say, uh, Alan is my doctor, and uh, I'm um, taking marijuana tablets and so far they are working extremely well and it enabled me to get off a couple of regular drugs that I take that um, if you listen to the television commercials against them are pretty nasty and cause all sorts of problems so so that's all good. Alan welcome to the Bob Pritchard radio show you are being heard right around the world. Well thank you it's great being on your show. How I can't wait to smile off my face. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm excited but for today. Then I start a busy day with patients right at 10 o'clock. All right. Okay. We'll get on with it. Um, it's it's really confusing to me. Um, it's not as confusing as it was, but the difference between medical marijuana, the marijuana that people sit around and smoke, and um, hemp. The, when you walk along Venice Boulevard, there's 20 shops selling marijuana if you've got anything more than a cold. And you see all these groups of people sitting around the outside these shops smoking joints. <laughs> they should be the healthiest people on the planet, but they don't look like it. So what's the... Can you just quickly explain the difference between the three things or more if, it, if there's more? Well, uh, first let's differentiate between hemp-based CBD and cannabis-based CBD. Right. Um, although these plants are in the same genus of plants, they're very, very, very different plants. And theoretically, some still think they're in the same species, but I found it very hard to breed these plants. And at the end of the day, 
the fiber plant, the hemp plant, was meant for fiber use and making paper, um, you know, a million goods, fuel, f food, and the, it does have about one and a half percent CBD. But it's also missing the uh, first decent cannabis plants have about 15 percent. But the big difference is the entourage effect. Cannabis has hundreds of other cannabinoids, minor cannabinoids, terpenes, flavonoids, plant waxes, and a bunch more. Um, and hemp doesn't. So um, you just can't make the same medicine um, out of hemp as you can out of cannabis. And we've done many, many, many small trials with 20 patients at a time where we blind them. They don't know whether they're getting hemp-based CBD or cannabis-based CBD at the same concentration. And there's nobody who feels it's the same. It's um, we need to grow more hemp to be used for the right purposes, and we need to grow more cannabis for the right purposes. Right. Now, I've got the impression that most medical doctors are not enthusiastic about prescribing marijuana. Um, that might be wrong, but it seems to be it's my impression. So is that because doctors really don't believe it, or is it because the um, big drug companies are so far into their pocket that they're brainwashed? Well, I think it's some of both. Um, there is a lot of doctors, I mean, there's a decent number of doctors who are comfortable writing the recommendation to the license for the medical cannabis, but they won't go into any details about dosing because 21 years ago, in a Conant decision, in the, I believe the Ninth Federal Circuit, um, it became illegal for doctors to give dosing information. Right. Um, so that scared a lot of doctors. To me, it seems so silly. I found out about that in 2006, and I just couldn't then, and I can't now believe that they're going to come and arrest a doctor for giving dosing information and call it aiding and abetting. Um, but doctors also have just a fear of having anything to do with it, even giving somebody the recommendation. Um, I mean, I got into a number of issues with the medical board. I mean, the medical board, I feel like, is, is changing, and the mainstream doctor view is changing, but there's still a number of doctors out there that um, are terrified of it, and they right. don't believe it has any medical value. I, mean, I don't think they've read an article on it, but um, it, it's, come, it's changing. And at least in the community that I work in, in Southern California, the overwhelming majority of my patients come from physicians. Um, now, sometimes it's not the physician's idea, it's a patient's idea, and they ask the doctor, and they said, yeah, go see Alan. Um, but I, definitely my main work is in the, in the main medical community. That's where I want to stay. Do, um, when you say doctors are not allowed to prescribe doses, is that just for marijuana? Or because they prescribe doses of everything every day, don't they? Yeah, well, it makes no sense. I mean, but when you think about 21 years ago when this law was written about dosing, what was there to eat? I mean, there was weed and there were some undosed edibles, and there was no way, in my opinion, to have medical cannabis under those circumstances. Right. I know, I know some will disagree with this, but to me, medical cannabis is when you as a patient, me as a doctor, and the dispensing um, store all know how many milligrams of cannabinoids you're taking. That's what's necessary to do it 
medically because otherwise it's not that I'm not saying people can't get better and feel better by smoking or taking edibles but as far as using a doctor to be involved with it what's the point if you don't know what you're taking what can the doctor really say sure so after having a distinguished career as a medical professional and a very successful one how did you get started in the cannabis industry you wake up at two o'clock one morning and go aha i've seen the light i'm going to become a marijuana specialist how did it come about well i woke up about two in the morning and i couldn't breathe and this was 1999 and i went i was just getting over i thought of bronchitis and i went to my friend who's a pulmonary doc and he said you're in heart failure so he walked me over to the heart doctor and i had a viral congestive heart failure, cardiomyopathy, and ended up with a bunch of heart biopsies. I was given a fairly short time to live, but I just didn't want to consider a transplant, and um, I was very depressed. I'm 49. My kids were grown, but still, that's too early, but, but I just didn't want to do a transplant. And then some friends of mine came over and did a reverse um, intervention. I had, believe it or not, never used cannabis until I was 49 and I got sick. Um, and three months later, my echocardiogram and everything was completely normal. Now, I'm not saying that the cannabis fixed my heart. I don't know what role it played. But I do know that it made me feel a whole lot better. And it turned on my brain again. And I started reading literally thousands of articles in the National Library of Medicine. And I became sold. And I, when I first started my practice 11 years ago, I thought it was going to be much more sophisticated with some dose medicines back then. But I mean, we really didn't know anything. Well, I'm, I'm really glad you made it because if you hadn't made it, I'd still be on those crappy drugs. <laughs> well, this is all, <laughs> it's all about you, Bob. <laughs> why, why do you recommend whole plant cannabis medicines versus hemp or laboratory-made medicines, is that simply because of the, well, I think you explained it before that it's a totally different ball game. but um, how do you determine what to recommend? Well, as far as how to make the medicine out of the plant, um, I use nature's recipe and just keep all the molecules that are in the plant oil to begin with. I mean, I think it's fairly pompous for me to think that I know better than the last tens of thousands of years on exactly which molecules are important. And every year that goes by, we learn more about the hundreds of terpenes and flavonoids. I mean, yes, it makes it more tasty and more aromatic, but these all have tremendous medical value. And to me, the better we get at extracts, and the, the more the extracts smell like cannabis, the better we've done. Um, and ideally, if we do an extraction on a particular strain, let's say an OG Kush, which has a, a scent that a lot of people recognize, the extract should smell like OG Kush. Um, and not because it's, oh, that's cool, but because it should have the same medical values. When I um, came in for my consultation, you, you um, created or had a special um, combination of, of cannabis for me. How, how do you decide what dosage should be for what type of um, ailment? How do, you, how do you make that decision? 
Well, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a guess. (laughs) You know, I mean, there's like everything else in medicine. Of course, part of it is at the end of the day, I think this. But I've been doing dosing for eight years. um, And for a number of years, I would have people bring in their extracts and I would watch them dose because it's not legal for me to dose them. And I would mark down the dosage and the response and the the caretaker would take the person home and we followed up and we did hundreds and hundreds of patients like that. And then finally, about eight years ago, seven and a half years ago, we had enough CBD strains um, and with enough ratios, enough different terpene profiles that we started having a whole formulary. And as I continued to practice, if I felt we needed, or if I thought we needed a different extract with a different group of molecules, maybe extracted in a different way, I've been really lucky to be able to work with some collectives that I can say, make this and tell your, your chemist to call me, I speak to the chemist, they make it, I take a look at it, and then we see what it's useful for. I mean, there are a number of times we've made extracts, um, long before THCA became a popular deal, we were making the extracts and trying them on people. Um, so that's how we learn. So do you have, uh, is it sort of a collective of people who specialize in the mar- medical marijuana that all compare notes? And is it like the medical profession where all this research goes in everywhere and everybody compares notes? I would have to say there's a little bit of that starting, but very little. There's a lot of, the medical or the cannabis business is a complicated business and people, uh, money becomes a very big deal very quickly. So people don't want to share information. Doctors very much avoid dosing. I mean, I do feel at times lonely. I would love to have that type of camaraderie with other doctors. And I have a little bit of it, but it's just starting. And doctors are going to have to believe Somehow, and I'm not sure how our government's going to reassure anybody about cannabis right now, but just reassure that, yeah, you can dose. And I mean, when I think about being arrested and then the jury saying, wait, this doctor didn't give any dosing information. That's why he's being, you know, punished. No, no, he gave lots of dosing information and can't do that. Right. Um, What I liked about coming to see you is that – you spend an hour, I mean a full hour, listening to what my symptoms were, etc., etc., before you made any suggestions whatsoever. And usually if you go to a doctor, you know, you get 10 minutes and they throw a bunch of pills at you, give you a couple of samples and go away and come back in three months. You've got a totally different type of um, uh, practice. So how do you, how do you not succumb to the, greed that most doctors seem to succumb to. I, you know, I, I don't know why money has never been, that's why I don't have very much. Um, it's never been number one, two or three. I mean, when I had my children were young, obviously I need, needed to make more money. Yeah. Um, but it was never my number one. I mean, my number one was, well, other than being a dad and now being a my sixth grandchild is on the way, by the way. Oh, good. Congratulations. So, so awesome. But I've always loved practicing medicine. And I think uh, 
if you end up as a doctor and you are truly very, very empathetic, and I'm not saying that's a blessing, that's a blessing and a curse, then you're kind of forced to either be miserable and have your patients be miserable, which mostly they are, or you have a good time with it. And Voltaire in 1732 stated, the art of medicine consists in amusing your patient while nature cures them. I believe that. And I, you know, I think as doctors, we help manage people. But I mean, did I cure you with this? No. But if you're feeling better and you're on less medications, I would consider that a success. Right. Uh, when I walk along the promenade at Venice Beach, apart from being amused, there's a couple of dozen marijuana dispensaries with big signs saying, if you've got any one of these 500 things wrong with you, everything from a cough to an ingrown toenail, come in here, we'll give you a marijuana card and you'll be cured instantly. Is that is that really all hype and marketing bullshit or is it really a wonder drug? Well, okay, the re- I sometimes get embarrassed when talking to patients or giving talks and go down the list of all the things this does and it seems it does seem too good to be true except if you look upon it as critical nutrition right and i think these molecules are critical nutrition for us and just like scurvy coming across or pellagra or berry berry all these other nutritional deficiencies in populations over history there are tons of very very sick populations throughout history just because either a piece of an orange or some other, or thiamine, or B6, I mean, the, then CBD and all these other cannabinoids might be essential nutrition. I think they are. So, are you saying that most things that are wrong, that go wrong with people, um, I, I get internally, not a broken leg or something, but most things that go wrong with people are all link back some way to nutrition? Well, broken leg is actually linked to nutrition, not just through vitamin D and calcium, but also CBD um, increases the speed of a healed fracture by 30%. Um, So even with a broken leg, the nutrition is important. I mean, do I think there's cures for everything in nature? You know, I'd have to say I don't know, but I suspect there's a lot, lot more than we're ever taught. And we know things are being destroyed in the Amazon, and I don't think things would be destroyed if, if it was all useless. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I've become a plant medicine doctor. It doesn't mean I never write a prescription or never prescribe a pill, but it doesn't happen that often. Right. So why is it that um, the medical profession, it, in, in the main, and the government are so seem to be so anti-medicinal um, cannabis. Well, I would take those two groups separately. The government feels the way it does because they want it for themselves. I mean, the, the number of cannabis drugs that are coming out and new drugs that will be released, the U.S. federal government has well over 500 patents on cannabis. And sometimes when I want to find a way to do something, I just type into Google U.S. federal patent cannabis on blah, blah, blah. Right. And you take that blah, blah, blah and search for it, find out what, if you can get it retail, and all of a sudden you've got a part of a future patent without violating a patent. Right. Um, 
So the, the money is 90% of the reason the government is against this, because they want it for themselves, period. And that's why they're actually much more supportive of recreational cannabis than medical. I mean, look what happens in Washington, Oregon, Colorado. Um, as soon as recreational is there, medical dies. And the reason is, it's in large part, I think, doctor's fault. If you don't have a doctor that's pushing the maintenance of medical cannabis, it just goes back to recreational where it was before all of this started, except it's legal. Um, now, doctors are mostly just fearful of losing their license. Um, there's fear about, I mean, when I first started 11 years ago, the stuff I got, I heard from doctors that liked me. I'm not, I'm not talking about the ones that might not like me, but that liked me and respected me, that you, what are you doing wasting your life? Right. You're wasting your life, and you're going to get in trouble. You know, so you have to decide if you want to push the envelope. Um, I think it, you have to be somebody that can be scared. I mean, there was plenty of times. I mean, I was scared or didn't sleep, or still, if I hear a siren, I think it's something else. So, I mean, there was a lot of I had well over twenty undercover cops. So it's fear, but you have to be willing to live with that fear. Um, I think I was lucky that my kids were grown. I was a little bit older. Um, I don't even have a girlfriend, so there's nobody to tell me what not to do. So, I mean, there's several doctors that I've hired, I haven't hired, I've interviewed, that I need, by the way, if there's a good primary care doctor out there, I'm looking for another doc. Okay. They're interested in it, but then their spouse says, well, you crazy? You have two young kids. And I get that. I mean, so I, I think the doctors have the fear and the government has the greed. Is this um, is this going to change? Well, let's, let's go back to the comment about where they've legalized recreational marijuana that um, medical marijuana uses it as declined. Is, is that because people think that because they can smoke pot, that's going to um, solve their problems without getting more accurate prescription? Whatever. People don't know. People just don't know. I mean. Um, nationally or even in Los Angeles County, 15% of people use cannabis on some regular basis. That means 85% don't. So, and the majority of people have tried cannabis at least once in their life, but it was a bad experience. It was high THC. People, most people don't want to smoke. They don't want to get stoned. And people, if once people truly understand that they could take a capsule, that's dosed, or you could take, you have taken a capsule, yeah. and I know, I, I can't remember exactly what I gave you, but I, we couldn't rely, you know, be public on it, but I know exactly what you're taking, um, and when you're taking it, and if you're not better, there's a good chance I'd be able to talk to you and make a suggestion to make it better, right. because I've just done this enough. Doctors are just too scared, and they, they, the vast, what have the vast majority of cannabis doctors been doing? They've just been writing recommendations for $40, and that's been that. There certainly are some very qualified um, cannabis doctors in the state, um, but very little dosing, and it's a very small number of cannabis doctors. And it also has to be a cannabis doctor who's willing to, you know, bump up on stuff. If, um, you know, we see specials on CNN and whatever about how cannabis has worked for all sorts of conditions and, 
um, you know, stopping seizures and all those sorts of things. So there must be a fairly strong movement, even if it's sort of an underground movement, to get governments and other doctors to change their attitude. Is that so or not? Um, more so in other countries than the U.S., believe it or not. I mean, Europe, we all think that right now they're way ahead of us with cannabis. And even in Israel, where they do a lot of research, their clinical cannabis is a very small program at this point. Right. Ultimately, it's going to be a very big program. And what some countries are doing, which makes all the sense in the world, is to put the medical cannabis that's in a container with capsules or dose sprays in their pharmacies because they have socialized medicine anyway. Yes. And then have ca coffee, you know, coffee, coffee shops for, for smoking. And I, I think that's the way the world should divide this up and just see it as very different. Hmm. Where's the United States going with regard to medical um, marijuana in the next, where do you see it going in the next five to 10 years? Well, I see more states. I mean, we're well over, what, 35, 38 states have some form. Um, I, I think that's going to get closer and closer to 50. And I don't know how the feds are going to change the scheduling because they have to have something very different than what the, let's call it the organic cannabis market that I'm a part of. So, and, and they don't want their cannabis medicines that are from GW Pharma. I mean, great, good company. It's a very good company. Um, but they don't want their medicine to smell like cannabis. Yeah. They don't want to have even a drop of THC in it. So they're stripping out everything else and you've got CBD or you have THC and those, to me, it looks like are going to be Schedule 3, and they'll leave the whole plant as Schedule 1, so they have control of it. Is, um, so it is, even if it's not as powerful, is, is just smoking a joint at, in some way um, medically healthy for or medically good for you? Well, I think a lot of people um, get a lot of benefits from smoking. But the people get benefits from smoking, either they're smoking and they just enjoy the feeling, they enjoy the habit, the break, like having a drink, but this is sure. better for them. Um, and yeah, there are people who use it to help with falling asleep. But when you start getting the pain issues, um, certainly seizure issues, cancer issues, you know, diabetes, and it's on and on and on, um, multiple sclerosis, myasthenia gravis, I mean, there's a lot of things we treat. I don't know how to treat those smoking because there are certain dosages of different cannabinoids that we found to be useful, um, then some people, I mean, if they're able to smoke and they like smoking and it works for them, I'm the last person to disagree. Yeah. I mean, if, well, but what we, more people, first of all, just don't want to get stoned or smoke, so they need to know what they're taking. Yeah. And, uh, it's interesting that my capsules, I take okay. um, oil in a capsule form that there's no no marijuana odor whatsoever. Well, there doesn't appear to me, to my nose anyway. It's a um, fairly neutral smell. Well, if you open up the capsule and smell it, it'll it'll have that herbal smell to it. But yeah, it's it's subtle. But if you if you open up a capsule with hemp CBD, um, I mean, it's a very different smell. Yeah, because I, I, I've just got off being overseas for um, a few weeks and went to a number of countries 
with sniffer dogs everywhere and uh, just had it in my luggage and nothing. No, you know, even the sniffer dogs didn't pick it up. I don't think there's so many drug dogs anymore. I think there's bomb dogs. I mean, oh, they're bomb dogs. <laughs> imagine with all the trouble TSA is in, they make a big announcement. They found a joint. You know, they found a joint. Do, does anybody really want that to happen? Do we really want it involved? I realize there's still some places in this country where that happens, but do we really want resources going to that joint? It's ridiculous. Oh. I agree. Um, <laughs> So are all marijuana plants, you know, we, we hear about these acres of marijuana that are growing everywhere. Can all, can all of those plants be used to create oils that are of some benefit or is there only certain strains that, um, that are effective? I think um, we're just getting started and this, one of the secrets to the future is better extraction, more complete extraction and more variety and strains. I mean, we may not know at this point what a new strain might do, but it's going to be different. I mean, it's just no question it'll be have some different effects. Right. So, and it's not just the strain. It's you know, have you heated it or using it raw? Um, a lot, a lot of variables. When you're growing the plants, if you let them flower in the in under lights for an extra week or ten days, you get different terpene profiles. You'll have a different effect. So oh. just how long you um, spend flowering the plant will make a difference. So it needs a lot more research is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Can, can you get addicted to um, medical marijuana? Well, you know, when the plant comes out of the ground, it doesn't know whether it's going to be used medically or recreational. So sure. can you get addicted to cannabis? The federal government for a number of years has published a list of the rates of addiction Cannabis, um, coffee, alcohol. Cannabis comes in around 5%. Um, coffee comes in at 20%. So, you know, it's, and I think a lot of this addiction, I mean, addiction to me is defined as not smoking once a day or once a week or several times a day, whatever. It's by what it's doing to your life. It's making your life better. And people around you would say, well, we don't like the smell, but you know what? He's much better. Um, or if your life is in ruin, then, you, you know, then you've got a problem, like with any other drug. But the rate of addiction is very low, even according to our government. And withdrawal symptoms, I, I think, are virtually non-existent. And when they often claim that these people couldn't sleep as well, and they were more agitated for a couple of weeks, that's why they were using the stuff to begin with. So it's not that surprising that um, if, if we give up our cannabis that we feel worse. I must admit, I wake up in the morning and I can't do without my coffee, but I don't go reaching for your pills. <laughs> so I guess I'm more addicted to coffee. <laughs> um, is there a role for medical cannabis in the fight against overdoses and deaths from opioids? Oh, I think that got to be one of the main things we should be focusing on. I mean, first of all, try avoid a lot of the opiate. The, the, the one thing that's necessary to have an opiate addiction is an opiate prescription. So the less prescriptions of opiates that we can start with, the better. So for if it's post-op pain for two days, all right, narcotics, but People need to be switched then to something else, and cannabis would be a fine thing to try. 
Right. Also, with withdrawal, when I see patients, whether they're cancer patients that are using a lot of narcotics and they have real pain, um, but they still get addicted and they still have withdrawal symptoms, and those are pretty much eliminated if you have a usually like a one-to-one CBD THC um, withdrawal symptoms from narcotics is much much easier. So that's not adequate, but it's a start. Do um. Does medical marijuana take a while to um, assimilate into your system and therefore a while for it to have effect? Or is it, you know, most of these pills that the doctors force on you um, pretty much have an effect immediately? I'm not necessarily saying always good. But is, is medical marijuana something that works fairly quickly or does it take a period of time or how does so? Both. Both. I mean, there are... For anxiety, the the effects of using whole plant CBD come on pretty quickly, often within minutes, literally minutes. Um, for schizophrenic that you're treating with higher doses of CBD, those patients seem to take a couple of weeks. Right. And there are just patients with depression that get better very quickly and some that take three or four weeks. And I'm sure there's different mechanisms. Maybe we have to rely on serotonin enhancement for some of them. But, um, you know, in general, go, you know, start low and go slow, but not always so low. If somebody, you have to leave it up to the patient and their own, and assessing as a physician, the patient's fear of being stoned is a critical part of the visit. Right. Because if they have no fear of it and they're in a tremendous amount of pain and they don't have to drive, then you're in a position, well, let's go for it and, you know, to get this guy a little bit psychoactive but his pain's gone and he's giggling that's a better situation yeah. it might have the giggling side effect or little stony side effect but i don't get a lot of complaints about that it seems weird that you know doctors are prepared to describe um pills that um are addictive and yet and people will take those without any without giving it a second thought yet they're worried about marijuana medical marijuana being addictive. That seems to me to be pretty weird. Um, <coughs> so for somebody out there who's using traditional medicine and, and it's not working or they're having negative side effects, how do they how do they go about talking to you and how do they get to learn more and how do we how do we build your business so that you can have the same effect on other people that you're having on me? Well, um, first checking out my website greenbridgemed.com. Type in Alan Franklin, you'll find my website. I've got um, a number of years of blogs there. Right. Um, and calling my office for if you're local to come in for a visit or a phone educational consult. Oh, we do a lot sorry. of those. Or Skype. Okay, terrific. Alan, thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. That was that's really interesting because I think um, medical marijuana is something that I I didn't know much about. My wife put me onto it, um, and you know she who must be obeyed is usually right. And uh, I'm I'm really pleased that I met you, and I'm really pleased we came in for that consult. Now, if you're listening to this and you have some concerns about an illness that you've got or the medicines that you're taking, go. And talk to Alan, and you go to Greenbridge, G-R-E-E-N, Bridge, B-R-I-D-G-E, Med, M-E-D, dot 
com. You'll be really pleased that you did. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show. Coming to you on Voice America Business Network. And we're broadcasting today from the square outside the Winter Palace in St. Petersburg in Russia. It is gigantic. Um, the Rolling Stones had 250,000 people here. I've got about 20. Um, and I think that's because it's bloody freezing. However, one of the most incredible medical breakthroughs, which is the powerful gene editing technology CRISPR, is one step closer to treating a human disease. The, um, I've spoken about CRISPR a number of times. It's where you edit the gene in your DNA, take out the bits that are bad and replace it with bits of, with good bits. And um, the publication Science reports that um, a UT Southwestern Medical Center team reported they'd successfully used CRISPR to correct the genetic defect responsible for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. That's hard. So people born with Duchenne disease are, are eventually confined to wheelchairs as their muscles continue to weaken. And in the latter stages, they rely on ventilators to breathe as their diaphragm muscles stop working. So eventually, they develop heart and respiratory failure. So the medical team fixed the mutated dystrophin gene by splicing out an offending section of the gene using CRISPR. Now, CRISPR can cut out sections of DNA at very precise locations, and it can introduce new DNA as well. In the case of Duchenne, Simply snipping out a section of the mutated dystrophin gene allows the gene to make enough of the proper protein that muscles need to function. The results were absolutely jaw-dropping. The muscle cells in various parts of the body, including the heart and diaphragm, were churning out healthy dystrophin protein at anywhere between 3% to 90% of the normal levels eight weeks after injection. Because Duchenne affects deep organs like the heart and respiratory system, it's preferable to find a way to deliver CRISPR more widely without repeated and multiple injections. So this study is the latest in an encouraging string of results in applying CRISPR to treat human disease. Researchers have also successfully used the gene editing technology to splice out HIV from both infected human cells in the lab and in living mice and rats. And researchers are close to beginning trials to address blood disorders and sickle, like sickle cell anemia. Scientists have even corrected a genetic heart defect in embryos, which were not allowed to develop further 
or be transplanted for ethical reasons. So Duchenne, often diagnosed before people start to notice symptoms of muscle weakness, might be halted in its tracks before skeletal heart and breathing muscle are damaged beyond saving. So this is an extraordinary discovery. The hope is that if these studies and human trials prove that this technique is safe and effective, the cold here in St. Petersburg is starting to get to me. I'm starting to get those cold chills up my back. Um, Now note that CRISPR is a cure. It's not a treatment. It's a cure. All of the other therapies so far have treated the symptoms and consequences of the disease. This is going right at the root cause of the genetic mutation. So it's really quite an extraordinary discovery. And, you know, I, I first talked about this a year ago when the shares in CRISPR were almost nothing. They're now about 75 bucks. So if you had to listen to me, you'd be rich. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and it's more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. If you're always trying to be normal, how fucking boring is that? You will never, ever know how amazing you can be by pushing the envelope. So I hope you're going to join me again next Tuesday when I'll be back broadcasting from my base in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. And in the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.